0: Hey, Charlie, would you shut the back doors, too? Thank you. Y'all see how he... All righty, well, it's 630. I almost don't need this microphone tonight with this group. I do for the record. What recording? Oh, yes. I thought you knew something. We do want to keep this for posterity. What's that? The best of. The best of, yes. This will be a two-CD collection called The Best Of, Volume 2. All right. Well, let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get going. and. We'll ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Um, Lord, we're supposed to thank you for all things and rejoice always. And so um, you're giving us an indication that it could be a really hot summer. And uh, Lord, we don't get to complain about freezing cold and really hot. So just thank you for being in charge and in control and knowing what our earth needs at any time. And so, Lord, if you give us a super hot summer, we'll just say thank you and we'll adapt. But, Lord, we do thank you for a beautiful day like we had today, even though it's a little humid. We just thank you that you provide for our every need, every day, That day. You're always there, always with us, even when we don't acknowledge you. And so, Lord, we just welcome your presence tonight. And we just pray you'd speak through your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so uh, I was explaining to these folks here a few minutes ago. Terry may have explained all this last week. We finished the curriculum on the miracles of Matthew. And then last week you did what, Terry? The resurrection? The ascension, the ascension but out of Matthew. Yes. yes. Uh, how did that work? The Transfiguration. I was finna say, by the way, I'm from East Texas, so when I say, I was finna say, that just means I was about to say. Um, yeah, because the Ascension would be after the Great Commission, right? So you did the Transfiguration. Y'all, she has worked so hard since last Wednesday, she couldn't even remember that. But Yeah, so you did the Transfiguration, and then tonight we'll talk about the Great Commission. And um, then next week, she'll give a review of all of it. And then on the 25th is our quiz. No, 25th will be Pastor People Prayer Time with Pastor Don and an RAs and GAs program. So, all right, well, we're going to jump right in then on the Great Commission. Without looking, who can tell me where it's found? Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And uh, let me just read it to us then, Matthew 28, I'll begin with verse 18, and I will read through verse 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. I suspect everyone in here has heard at least one or ten messages or teaching times on the Great Commission over the course of your lifetimes and discipleship times. So we're not going to necessarily cover anything New or earth-shattering tonight, but it's always a good reminder of what our priority ought to be. And when we think about evangelism, I heard this definition one time, and the definition went like this, evangelism is that thing that every Christian believes is important, but very few ever participate in. Y'all didn't hear that, did you? yeah we all it's, it's it's that's the most important thing, and yet how but very few ever why do so few people participate in evangelism? I think maybe sometimes believers just don't grasp what evangelism is or how simple it really is. Maybe we associate evangelism with uh large crusades like Billy Graham and Franklin Graham have uh, had over the years, or maybe people associate evangelism with with revivals, right? I mean, the guy who comes and does a revival, we call him the evangelist, you know? And maybe people have that, that perception and that's, that's what evangelism is, is standing in front of a large crowd, either a church full or a stadium full of people uh, to preach a sermon about Jesus. Or maybe some people have in mind uh, that knock on the door You know, I live about a mile and a half down the road from a Kingdom Hall uh, meeting place. And uh, without fail, before COVID, before COVID, um, about every one Saturday, every other month, uh, somebody from the Kingdom Hall would be coming and knocking on my door. And they were so sweet. And I'd tell them, ma'am, I'm a Baptist preacher. Okay, have a great day. Uh, They don't stick around. Uh, or the young men on the bicycles, you know. And maybe that's what people associate with evangelism. And they're like, well, we don't really want to be associated with a cult. And so that mindset can kind of creep in. And maybe people don't, maybe we don't do it as much as we should because we have these conceptions in our minds, you know. But what is it really? Well, the Greek word, of course, euangelion, simply meant glad tidings or good news. You know, the good news club, I remember when I was a kid, we'd go to the good news club on after school or in the summertime. Uh, And it's the same word, euangelion, where we get our English word gospel. And it isn't necessarily big crusades or protracted meetings, and it isn't necessarily confrontation. It is simply telling the good news of what Jesus, who he is and what he's done, simply telling that to someone else. That's it. That's all it is. Uh, we've, for several years now, at least since I've been here, that I can remember, in Hunter's Glen, we, we call this telling our story, you know? Share your story or tell your story have been some of our themes in the last five, six years. And the reason we do it, the reason we participate in evangelism and why it matters is because Jesus himself told us to. Uh, So we read Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's how I memorized it. Uh, That defines our mission, really, as a church, doesn't it? And so we're just going to break it down a little bit tonight. And like I said, nothing brand new or earth-shattering probably for anybody, but let's just talk through it and talk about where we are and where we're going as a church and so you've heard it said many 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 times there's only one imperative in the great commission and in a sense that is technically true but i'm going to contend for us tonight that there are two imperatives in the great commission and i'll explain to you why and the first one is this the first one is go And you're like, oh, no, no, you learned it in the English Bible. But in the Greek, it's going. It's a participle. And you're right. But we'll get there. He recognized, Jesus recognized, they couldn't stay where they were and obey what he was calling them to do. They couldn't stay put. So let's talk about this for a second, how go. Go is actually a participle, right? It would be uh, going or as you go. You've heard it said that way. And so, some folks will come along here, and they'll say, "Okay, because it's a participle, going." And the great, the, the imperative is make disciples. You know, going is this. Uh, it's it's more in your daily life as you're going about your business, which is true, okay, to a point. Uh, but we have to be really, really careful here that we don't allow that to convince us that somehow evangelism is accidental or that in some way it's not intentional, okay? Uh, because in a sense, it would be easier on us as followers of Christ uh, if, it, if, it could, if it didn't have to be intentional. You know, that'd be a lot easier on us, all if it didn't have to be intentional because then we wouldn't have to think about it and uh, it might just serendipitously happen one day while we're talking to somebody and another day it may not and monkey's off my back because go is a participle. Well, not exactly. I mean, it is a participle, but the grammar is like this. And I had a Greek professor, and I don't know how old he was, but like, I will tell you, his Greek professor wrote the book. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Curtis Vaughn had been walking this earth many, many many years. And uh, he'd been walking the earth so many years, I don't even think he remembered how many times he told us this and beat this into our heads. Uh, When the circumstantial participle is used in conjunction with an imperative, the participle takes on the imperatival force. That's what he would tell us over and over and over again. The reason being, The participle takes on the force of the imperative. It means go. Don't sit right here, but go and make disciples. Now, I know it's not Greek class, but in a group of this size, I know we've all heard that discussion before, the sort of as you're going, and that's great as long as we don't lose sight of the fact that it doesn't take away the intentionality of the the going, right? Right? Uh, We cannot be obedient to this commission of Jesus and stay in our comfort zones. We can't obey this commission and be passive about it. Obedience to the great commission requires action and intentionality. Uh, So we go. And why do we go? Well, one of the reasons we go is because we are continuing Christ's work when we go. He tells the disciples here in in verse 19, go therefore because he wants them to continue that which he already had begun. He's uh, compelling them to go forward to a universal ministry that he himself had never gotten to engage in. You think about this. He had ministered primarily I mean, we had the woman at the well and a few other scenes, but primarily in a Jewish context, all in and around the ancient Near East, all in and around Palestine. Uh, And now he's giving them an instruction to go and take the gospel to all the nations. And it was an instruction that included the Gentiles. So it would not have been possible for them to stay right where they were and fulfill their mission. That's why in the Luke-Acts account, in Acts chapter 1, uh, he tells them before the ascension, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all right in the ends of the earth, right? It's, it's Luke's, what Luke remembers, it goes along with what Matthew remembers, to all the nations. Um, and y'all, these were not nation states like we think about nations today, right? Uh, we hear the word nation, and we think United States, Canada, Mexico, Ukraine. These are nations and the way we use the term nations in, in our day and time. Uh, when Jesus says, take the gospel to all the nations, nation states were a really new thing on the world scene at this point in time. And, uh, and really this was, this was during the Roman Empire, uh I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say nation states as we know them didn't even exist yet. And so what the Greek there is pantata ethne. Where, does that sound familiar? Ethne? What are some of the words we might get from that same root? Ethne. Ethnic, ethnos, ethnicity. Right? This is why we talk now since uh since missionaries and and missiologists introduced this concept to us in probably the late 1960s, we talk about people groups now, right? Because we realize ethne was nations in the sense of ethnicities, not nation states. And I remember the first time I wrapped my brain around that, I was like, wow. So what that can mean is inside one nation state like the United States of America, we might have 400 Ethne, you know, uh, nations in that sense. So, um, but we go and we take them to all the nations. And Jesus had primarily been right there in Palestine, right there with primarily Jewish audience. A few seekers had come in. And now he's giving them this instruction that's not just to go and leave where you are, but you're going to go to all those people groups, including the Gentiles. Right? Right? Uh, And they couldn't have stayed where they were if they were going to fulfill that calling. So that's why we go. Jesus never physically walked the streets of Plano, Texas, or Allen, Texas, or McKinney, or Richardson, but he's called on his disciples, those of us who are his followers, to continue the work that he started by taking the message to people who've never heard it. So we go because it continues the work that he began and how we go is we go in confidence, in the, in the confidence of his control. All right? We go in the confidence of his control. Verse 18, he came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. Now go. Like Pastor Don always says on Sunday mornings as we're leaving church, he'll, we'll finish the whole service and he'll wrap it all up and he'll be like, y'all ready? Go build a church. All right? It's kind of what Jesus has done here. He's saying, look, all authority has been given to me. Now I'm telling you, go be about this business. So we go in the confidence of Christ's control. And because of his authority, then the first century apostles, disciples, they could go in the confidence that he was in control of everything on heaven and earth. They could carry the gospel message into new places, into hostile countries, into other cultures because Jesus was in control, guiding their paths, watching over them, empowering them, we'll get to that in a minute, with a supernatural power that transcends all those boundaries, physical, spiritual, ethnic, social. There is not a, bound, there is not a physical, spiritual, ethnic, or social boundary that he is not powerful to help us overcome. It's just not. And so that's how we go. We go in obedience to share the gospel with others, but we go in confidence, not because of any special ability or, uh, special ability or power that we have. We go in confidence because of the power that he has. And uh, we go in confidence that he's in control. And rhetorically, I ask the question, would we want it any other way? I mean, would we really want to go if it, were, if it was up to us, if it was up to us or our power or our ability? I hope not. I wouldn't want to go if it was, I mean, I know my weaknesses and my, you know, faults and all, and uh, we couldn't do it without him, right? We don't have the power to save anybody in and of ourselves. So why would we then go and try to, to go, try to witness, try to evangelize in our own power? Can't do it. You say, well, I would witness or... I would witness, I would share my faith, I would tell my story, I would share my story, but I feel inadequate. And you know what I would answer to that? Good. You need to feel inadequate because it's his power. You know. Uh, anyway, we are inadequate, but we, can't, we can either use that as an excuse or we can use it as a motivation to go in his power. And that's what we're going to do. And he'll guide our steps. He protects us the same way he protected the apostles And sometimes didn't, if you know the history. But he was still in control. He still has the power to transcend all of those boundaries. Spiritual, ethnic, physical, social. So we go. We go in obedience. We go in confidence of his control to continue that thing he started 2,000 years ago. So that's I, I would contend that even though it's a participle, technically, in the Greek, I would contend that it's an imperative go. And then the second imperative is, of course, the main imperative, the main verb of the sentence, make disciples. That's that's our command, make disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower, right? A follower. How do you make someone a follower of someone or something else? You tell that person's story, right? Uh, How do you make someone a follower of Christ? tell them the story about Jesus. Uh, When I think about followers and I think about the process of just telling somebody the story, uh, I think of an instant uh, uh, illustration from my own life. Uh, My favorite baseball team since I was probably five years old has always been the Los Angeles Dodgers. You might say that I follow the Dodgers. I have never lived in Los Angeles. I have never lived within a thousand miles of Los Angeles. I've never been to a Dodger game in Dodger Stadium, even as a visitor. Until a few years ago, I had never even seen a Dodger game in person. Take it back. I saw the first inning one time out at the Rangers when they first started having interleague play and my dad and I went and they, they sang the national anthem and they introduced the starting lineups and then they pulled out the tarp and then it came the goalie washer and the game got rained out. So, but until that was that was my first experience. But a couple years ago, I had a different experience. But okay, so why then? Why? Because when I was about five years old, we were talking about baseball, and I asked my dad, well, who's your favorite team? And he said, the Dodgers. And he told me about the Dodgers. And ever since then, I've been a Dodger fan. He talked about listening to the Brooklyn Dodgers on the radio as a boy. He told me about Don Drysdale and Jackie Robinson and Sandy Koufax and all the other Dodger greats and all the great things they had, Roy Campanella and Pee Wee Reese. And uh, he believed what he was telling me about them. He was enthusiastic, he was convincing, he was winsome. And so through his testimony, and I'm I'm stretching it a little, but bear with me. Through his testimony, in a sense, right, he helped make me a follower of the Dodgers. Uh, So I want to play y'all an audio recording here. A couple years ago, another very, very dear friend of mine had the opportunity to uh, give me a ticket to go watch the Dodgers in the World Series when it was played over here in Arlington because of COVID. Y'all remember that? Like Because of COVID, they played all the playoffs right here in Arlington. And even though I'd never been to a Dodger game in Los Angeles, I got the chance to go be at game six of the World Series when they played over here in Arlington, thanks to this really special friend of mine. And so, uh, now i got to find it. I'm going to play y'all video. So, in this video, I'm going to set it up. Let me set it up. And I'm going to hold it right here so y'all can hear it. Uh, This is the ninth inning of game six. And there's two strikes against... Tampa Bay batter. by the way, if they won game six, they were gonna win the World Series, okay? And for about the first six seconds, you just kind of hear crowd noise. And then you'll hear the crowd erupt because it's a call, third strike. And then I want you to listen if you can hear another voice uh, in this video. So we're gonna figure this out here. So at about six and a half seconds, pay attention and see if you recognize a Voice. Yeah! Oh Y'all hear that? You hear that crazy person? <laughs> Y'all know who that crazy person was? All right. Does did that, did that sound like a devoted follower right there? Maybe. Uh, right, because somebody 42 years ago, which happens incidentally to have been Jackie Robinson's number, but 42 years ago, a man told his son a story about a team, all right? He made a disciple in a way, and that is our calling when it comes to the story of Jesus, It's to tell the story of Jesus in an enthusiastic, compassionate, simple, compelling way so that somebody hears it and says, I want to be a follower of Jesus too. And maybe 42 years later, they're playing somebody else a video where they can hear the excitement of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. that's, That's what we're talking about tell someone else the story of Jesus that's all it is there are plenty of ways to do it i've taught some many of you've taken some courses here in this church those are just ways but it's just telling somebody this is this is Jesus all right so do we want to be obedient to the that was me by the way uh I didn't I didn't own that. That did you hear that? Ah, that yeah, that was me. And um do y'all want to know who my friend was that gave me the tickets? Do y'all want to know? It was Terry Pittman. Oh, Terry. He was crying. Go ahead. Crying. <laughs> but you know what? Just so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I I and you know what? I would cry even more if it were Jesus coming in person. That's kind of the point, you know? Uh, Yeah, just tell them. Tell them about his love. Tell them that he came and died to pay the penalty for their sins. Tell somebody what he's meant in your life and mean it, you know? They've got to see that we believe it if we really expect them to believe it, right? That's it. Tell somebody the story of Jesus. Now let's look at the magnitude of the task. We already talked about this a little bit. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. I already told y'all, Pantata ethne is all the people groups. Because up to this point, I think we said this too, he'd ministered primarily among Jews. And now he's saying, You go, you make disciples of Jews and Gentiles alike. Wherever people are, all over the world, whatever their ethnic background, you go and make disciples amongst those people. So, we look at this as an extension of Christ's work, but let's look also as a standpoint, from the standpoint of the magnitude of this calling. It's not, it is an extension of the work he began, but think about the magnitude of this. He's basically telling them, us, go and share this gospel with anybody and everybody without distinction, without distinction. It is not for us to decide who is and who isn't worthy of our time. Because Jesus has already said his gospel is to go to all people. We don't get to decide who's worthy of hearing it and who isn't. That is why these doors are open to anyone and everyone who might show up here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. We're going to welcome and love people regardless of the color of their skin or the color of their hair or if they have no money at all or if they have more money than all of us combined. Or no hair. And we don't care or we shouldn't if they're low class or high class or no class. Well, maybe if they're no class, We reach out because Jesus did and because he told us to. He's commanded us to and because the magnitude of this task is to take the message to all people of all nations, and so it is too great of a task for us to decide who we can exclude, right? When we realize how big the task and how big the calling is, if we wanna obey that, we, can't, we better not exclude anybody from the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Was your heart not just like thrilled at that baby family dedication a couple Sundays ago? Were y'all here? Oh Oh, my word! Like, I was looking up on that stage and I was like, India, Africa, Africa, there was another one. Russia, I don't know. I was just like, wow! You know, because we've been saying for years God's bringing the nations to Plano. And then to look up on that platform at that family dedication and see the work of the Lord amongst people from all nations through the ministry of our church, I was fired up. I was like ready to go charge hell with water pistols that day. Like It was awesome. And that's, that's when we know we're being obedient not just to the idea of the Great Commission but to the heart of it as well when we see that. And so that's the magnitude, that's the grand scope all peoples from everywhere. And then the manner in which it's to be completed, not the means, but the manner or the mode. The means is by going and telling, but the manner is baptizing and teaching. I don't want to make a distinction without a difference, but baptizing and teaching. And I, I, I think these probably also are participles that pick up the imperatival force of the verb, meaning these aren't really optional either, right? These aren't optional either. Uh, baptizing, teaching characterize this process of making disciples. Now, we talk about baptism frequently. Do y'all know why we talk about baptism frequently? Most on the surface, on the face of it reason? We're a Baptist church, right? That's a good thing for a Baptist church to talk about frequently is, is baptism, Right? Uh, so we we don 't shy away from that we don 't apologize for that uh, we 're not going to do a whole treatise on baptism here tonight, but as you look at the rest of scripture, you begin to get a picture that this is an important part of first century discipleship, and it better be an important part of ours too and so we don 't apologize or pull back from that right um, but we know. Baptizing someone is not the thing that makes them the disciple, right? Uh, They hear the story about Jesus and they believe that he transforms their heart and they follow him. That makes them the disciple. But baptism uh, is a part of their discipleship process going forward, right? In other words, baptism doesn't make someone a disciple, but it's a fundamental part of what it means to be a disciple of the discipleship process. Uh, what it's, it's because it's symbolic, right? Again, we're Baptist church. Uh, I used to teach a Christian 101 class at our church in Louisiana and down in South Louisiana, there's a lot of Catholics. That's what they called themselves. They didn't call themselves Catholics. They called themselves Catholics just because that was their accent. And I would teach this Christianity 101 class and I would start talking, I would start explaining about, uh, the sacraments, you know, baptism and. Confirmation and marriage, last rites, all these things, and they'd be like, "Huh, never heard that before." It's true, uh, and I would explain, you know, in in this system, baptism, not not what we would believe and teach here, mind you. But I'd say, you know, this, this is a key difference uh, between what we teach and what we believe, and what a lot of you got in your upbringing, yeah. and I would explain. So in that system, uh, we all receive um, original sin. We're born sinners. We're born sinful, born sinners. And so we receive that baptism as an infant to wash away that original sin. And it's in a very real sense, that baptism then gives us a fresh start, gives a person, gives that baby a fresh start. This is not every denomination that does baptism of infants, some have very, very different reasons for doing it, but this was the Catholic system. Uh, it gives the baby the fresh start, and from that day forward now, you, you wanna follow the sacraments, you wanna do the good things that are gonna outweigh the bad things. And I would, I would have people look at me and go, I never knew that. I'd never heard that. And I'd say, yes, that's why you do these other you know, confirmation and, 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 and mass and communion and marriage and last I'm forgetting, but there's like seven. Uh, but we would say no, it doesn't save us. It doesn't, in any literal sense, wash away that sin. The blood of Jesus washes away the sin, and we receive that by faith through by grace through faith. And, and, and that baptism then becomes symbolic of His death, burial, and resurrection, and symbolic of our new life in Christ. It identifies us with Christ. It identifies us as a Christ follower. One of the reasons I tell people, I I don't make anybody say anything specific when I baptize them, but I like to always ask, who is your Lord? And I like to hear somebody make that declaration, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Uh, as a part of the baptism because to say Jesus is Lord means nobody or nothing else is. And in the first century, to say that Jesus was Lord meant that Caesar wasn't and that could have been a capital offense. And if they were willing to make that proclamation that Jesus is Lord, we better be willing to do it too here in our free society. And so I love to hear people proclaim Jesus is Lord. I'm identifying with Christ. I'm identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's symbolizing my own uh, being dead to sin and being raised to new life in Christ it's so so many things it's so rich and so powerful of a symbol that's why we do it as a part of that discipleship process like I haven't done this but I suppose I could go get a big Dodgers tattoo on my bicep or tricep and say see I've identified with that team I claim to follow that's what baptism is I'm identifying with Christ. Uh, anyway, maybe better than a tattoo. I, my parents, one time, they gave me a little plastic helmet, you know, and I would wear that everywhere. Uh, why? To identify. That's what baptism does for it. Identify. So, so baptizing, we share our faith. Someone accepts Christ as their Savior. They get baptized, and they're telling the world, look whose team I'm on now. I'm on Jesus' team. Forgive the analogy. I'm a follower of Christ. So yeah, that's part of our obedience um, to the Great Commission. But it doesn't stop with baptism because he also says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Um, Right there in verse 20. So it has to include this teaching, teaching element as well. And that's kind of what we think about the most when we talk about discipleship—the discipleship process in a church or the discipleship ministry of a church—or uh, you know, this is the teaching element of it. Um, but it's, the baptizing is a big part of it too, and then the teaching. Um, when we talk about when we talk about teaching, we see the focus is on his on his commands or on what he taught, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Up to this point, the teaching in the synagogues in the Jewish synagogues was a teaching of the Old Testament law. You go into a synagogue on a Friday, you're gonna hear a rabbi expound on something from the Torah. And what Jesus is saying is, you're gonna go teach them what I've said and done. That's it. He puts the focus on on his own, on his own command, on his own teaching, on his own... uh, life an example. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So he clarifies that. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of those commandments and teaches... Others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom, but whoever does teach them and whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill the law. And so we want to fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to focus our teaching, yes, on the law, as we've been doing with the Ten Commandments, but the law doesn't save. The law doesn't save. We're going to teach about Jesus who fulfilled the law. He didn't foresee a time when any part of his teaching would ever be judged needless or outmolded or superseded or untrue. And he's saying, everything I've taught you, you still at that point, no, 11, you 11, everything I've taught you is to be passed on till when? till the end of the age he says to the end of the age and it's to be obeyed teaching them to obey all that i've commanded you so what we teach is not what we are to teach rather is not some abstract dogma that's steeped in theorizing or philosophy we're just to simply teach people how to live and how to live as a follower of jesus what does it mean? That's, I love, that's why I love Pastors Don, Pastor Don Sunday teaching so much. Because uh, I, there, I, my natural tendency or my natural programming is to really love like, to hear uh, academic lectures. I could sit and listen to an academic lecture for two or three hours and not get bored. Uh, I love that. I love the theorizing. I love that part. I love the philosophical part. But you know what I need sometimes? I just need to simply be reminded what I need to do to obey Jesus. And that's not to say that his teachings aren't like academic or whatever. It's just simply to say, he just has a way of whittling it all down and narrowing it all down and saying, now, go do this, Christian. I need to hear that. At everybody does all right it's not just this abstract thing rather we're to give the people the content that they can hear and take and go and obey jesus all right because our evangelism and our disciples making is to be characterized by obedience not just our own obedience but who the new believers teaching them to obey so this eliminates the drive by witnessing you know listen y'all I had a friend. We had a friend. I grew up, I say, I tell everybody I'm just a hick from East Texas, but I did spend a lot of my years in Virginia. So I guess I'm a hillbilly from Virginia with some East Texas hick in me. Um, But we had a friend. uh, Oh, his name's escaping me at the moment. He lived to tell other people about Jesus. And uh, Sumner Wimp, that was his name, Sumner Wimp. And you could just sit in a conversation and just start talking about the Lord and you were gonna hear it and you were gonna love it and you were gonna smile and you were gonna weep and you were probably gonna get saved. But he would also do this thing where he would take a gospel track and he would figure out how he could fold the corner just so to make it go in a particular direction and he would literally throw them out the car window you know, he'd say, I knew how to fold the corner just so I could throw it out the car window and then land at that fella's feet right there at the bus stop. Well, that's great, um, but that's only part of what's involved in making disciples, that's not. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing him, but what I'm saying is we can't obey the great commission and only just throw tracks out car window. Like if Todd comes in tomorrow and goes, woo, Stuart, I threw 15 tracks out the car window on Saturday night, I'd be like, Awesome, now what are their names, <laughs> right? We Make disciples cannot be drive by witnessing. So as individuals and as a church, we must invest in the lives of others. Someone receives Christ as a result of our ministry, we continue investing in that person, teaching them by words, teaching them by actions until they grow into mature, mature obedient disciples of Christ. I wish y'all could be in here on Sunday morning sometimes because what's going on back in these two rooms on Sunday mornings, Terry Terry will tell you. uh, To see, and I'm not old, I'm 47, but to see people younger than me who are excited to come and learn and study and dive into God's word together, that just thrills my soul. And that's because someone invested in them that made them go, I'm gonna stick around that place. And I'm gonna keep learning. And I'm gonna keep growing. So we, we, we must invest when we invest in them. Uh, teaching them the words and actions as they grow too. Um, so two, imp- two imperatives. Go, make disciples. That's the task. It's a big task. So he leaves us with a powerful promise. Low, where is it? It's not in chapter five, I'll tell you that. I wanna read it how it says. I know how I memorized it, but I wanna see how. Behold, I, I, I memorized it as low. But in this version, it's behold. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the powerful promise. And it's his his abiding presence. That's a lot of Ps. That's the most alliteration you're going to usually get out of me in a a talk time or a sermon. His his abiding presence is that powerful promise. Because he knows it's quite an assignment that he's left us with. So he's promised us that his presence will be with us always, leading us, guiding us, strengthening us, teaching us, comforting us. Um, When? Right now. Like, what does that mean, always? It means today. Literally, that Greek word is the whole of every day. Lo, behold, I'm with you always, the whole of every day. Right? When he gave that instruction, when he gave that promise He didn't just have some far off horizon in sight. Yeah, I'm with you always. See, I'm still with you all the way down there. He meant I'm I'm with you every step of the way, every moment of every day, right? So we draw comfort from that, that he's right there. He's with it. That's comforting. But it's also empowering, isn't it? Isn't that empowering? Like, I can tell my story to this person because Jesus is right here with me. And I've got his power available to me uh, today and, yes, until his return. Always does include that other as well until he comes back. Uh, When you think about evangelism, when you think about witnessing, sharing your story, telling your story, obeying the Great Commission, however you want to call it, when we think about that and we think about our setting, uh, here are some things we find. We live in a city where there is almost literally a church on every corner at least the big corners that have stoplights. Uh, now, there are 100 Baptist churches in the Colin Baptist Association, but you drive around a little bit and you start to realize there are churches of other denominations. There are churches of no denominations. Uh, There's churches that speak English and Chinese and Farsi, and there are Indian churches. Some of them partner with us, but there are so many international churches other language speaking churches that aren't even associated with us. You start looking around, and you realize, man, so there's a lot, there's a lot of partners for this job. National, international nationally, and internationally is Hunter's Glenn. We're a part of Southern Baptist Convention and Texas Baptist Convention, which is so we're part of the largest mission sending denomination, maybe in history, I don't know. We employ thousands of full-time and part-time missionaries and every state and in all of the inhabitable continents, right? I don't think we have any in Antarctica right now, but uh, in every state and in six continents. So you might say that when it comes to this Great Commission, we got a head start in some ways, right? We got a leg up maybe, but to borrow from the world of sports, you might say that we're in the lead in a lot of ways. Um, well, there's a really bad strategy in sports. You know what that strategy is called? Sitting on the lead. You don't want to do that. Let me share with y'all a few things I shared with our, you know, we just, we just made a, a, a missions committee, ministry team. We haven't had one um, in Hunters Glen for probably at least 15 years. We won't get into why. let me just share a few things with you here. Uh, When it comes to trying to obey the Great Commission and trying to be intentional about obeying the Great Commission, um, you know, locally, we have a partnership with Sigler Elementary School and some of the ministries that our church participates in and you, through your support of our church, participate in, even if you're not involved in some of this directly through as a volunteer, you participate in this through your participation in our church. Uh, we do the H, the hunters Glen food packs for the kids that that don't have f- meals otherwise when school's not in session. We work with the North Dallas North Texas Food Bank to do the Friday food bags. We work with Plain Olasdi's mentoring program, providing mentors at Sigler. Uh, we just provide for them opportunities to get kids and teachers on the same uh, in the same vicinity sometimes with their. Uh, meet the teacher, Neither color run. We we love on the teachers. If you know much about Title One schools, it's some of the hardest public school teaching that you can do in the state of Texas. And so we spend uh, we spend some resources and some time um, loving on the teachers through teacher appreciation kinds of things. Our Christmas toy drive: the probably half of the toys we collect at Christmas time go to Sigler families. We provide winter coats. We provide library volunteers. You also know we have the Hill Community Center. We At the Hill Community Center, we do our ESL program. In the 2021-2022 school year, we had 192 students registered from 38 different countries for ESL-level classes, citizenship, conversation, discovery, Bible study. I love discovery, Bible study. You know why? Because they come to practice English, and you know what their textbook is? The Bible. That's so good. Uh, We have an ESL International's life group that meets on Sunday mornings, personal tutoring book club, the closet donation center, which... Serves uh, families with socioeconomic needs, but also with refugees who come to the United States from all over the world. International churches like the Iranian Baptist Church of Dallas, North Dallas Baptist Chinese Fellowship, Cross Point Indian Church, New Day's Korean Church, River of Life, Russian-speaking church that meets either on the hill or here on campus. And then we do participate in the Collin Baptist Association, Disaster Relief Church, Planning, Collin Baptist Men, Texas Baptist Men. We have volunteers at Rural Options for Women, Alive at Last, Bill Glass Prison Ministry, and Gideon's International. We have 120 children in Peru that are sponsored through Hunters Glen Baptist Church, church members through Compassion International. And this year, we will be sending mission teams to Colombia, Kenya, and the Dominican Republic, and more if the Lord allows. Uh, In 2020, 2021, we gave $257,000 to Southern Baptist Cooperative Program. In 2021, 2022, year to date through seven months, that's 153,415. So we're looking to blow last year out of the water. In 2021, our world mission offering was $162,000. That's that's above and beyond Tide dollars. That's just people that generously want to support those things you've heard all your lives called Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, World Hunger Offering, uh, Texas, the uh, Mary Hill Davis for Texas missions. All that's part of our world mission offering. And last year we gave $162,000. And in 2021, 2022, that's already $110,400. And so we're, we're looking to blow that out of the water. Our annual support for Colin Baptist Association is $16,500. And we have mission partners and ministry supports, ministries that we support to the tune of $69,000. Why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because number one, it's awesome. Not pat ourselves on the back, but thank you, Lord, to be a part of a church that's involved like that. Uh, but yeah, you might say, okay, all right, Hunters Glen, let's just, let's just coast for a little while. You know, we, we, we got a head start. We got a lead. Let's coast. What did I say? What is the absolute worst strategy in sports? Sitting on the lead. When the team that is ahead starts to coast, starts to back down, and I wouldn't even say we're ahead. Instead of playing to win, the team starts playing not to lose, right? Instead of throwing a bomb on first down, the coach is content to get two yards off the, nose, off the, off the tackle. What happens? They get complacent. Typically, the strategy backfires, and what happens to the team? They lose the game. You know, y'all know what a prevent defense is in football. You know what it prevents: victories. And the same can hold true for churches and evangelism. That's why I read you all of those things, not so you'll pat her your on yourself on the back and say, "Oh yeah, look at Hunters Glen. We can coast, we can coast a little bit." No, we are blessed to be a part of a community where many, many, many people already know the Lord and where there are many churches and we are blessed to be a part of a church that is not just investing dollars but is investing man hours, person hours in serving, in sharing, in telling that story in all these locations. We're blessed to be a part of a denomination that's making an impact around the world for the cause of Christ but this is not a time to sit on the lead. Complacency is one of the greatest threats to effective obedience to the Great Commission. Not persecution. Not ridicule. But complacency. If we were to go and tell the Apostle Paul some of the things that we call persecution now these these days, he would go, what? Let me tell you a story. The biggest threat to the obedience to the Great Commission is complacency. So let us commit and recommit ourselves always. I always say it like this, right? Until the Lord calls you home personally or until Jesus comes back to get you. Let's commit and recommit ourselves to the Great Commission, to tell in our story, both as individuals and as a church. And let other people hear just how awesome Jesus is and what it means to be a disciple. Isn't that good? All right. I'm a, I've got seven minutes left. Any thoughts, comments, corrections? Thank you, Terry, for my Dodger tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, so we're going to do some stuff. We're going to reactivate the Share Your Story link on our website. Okay, Share Your Story was just a little link we had on our website where you could just put your first name and you could put like, I don't remember what it was at the time, like across the street and around the world. You, you, you know, churches have had these themes over the years. I think we're going to do Here, There, and Anywhere, since that's what's on our mission shirt, Here, There, Anywhere. So we're going to reactivate that link for share your story, to say, "This is who I am, and this is, this is the context, here, there, anywhere." And here's like in maybe 300 words or less, Here's, here's a chance I got to, to share the story, to share my story you. Know. And what we'll do is, I think we'll, uh, we'll collect those. We'll pull them out from time to time. You'll see them, maybe sermon illustrations, or we'll put them in newsletters. Just so other Hunters Glen people can hear how the Lord's moving. You know, because I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think, I believe, um, in a lot of cases, if you don't hear about it in life group, you don't hear about it. You know, and that's not, I don't say that pejoratively, but that's just kind of, we all get kind of in our own circle of friends, and if we don't hear about a particular ministry or a particular ministry opportunity or a particular good thing God did, if we don't hear about it in life group or if Pastor Don doesn't say it from the platform, we don't hear about it. And so we're going to reactivate that link on the website too, that share your story link, um, and start compiling that stuff and and trying to push those stories out so people can hear how God's working. That's important. Anyway, uh, well, if there's no comments or corrections, we'll pray we'll be dismissed five minutes early. Mike. I just had a thought, and the thought is that not a lot of people go into sales because you get a lot of rejections Mm -hmm. No. And and so you have to kind of turn that part of your brain off saying, well, I was, you know, and I've heard people, I do youth juvenile prison ministry, and I've heard, you know, people say, well, I, you know, brought so many people to Christ today. Did you you? win? That's an interesting point, though, Mike, because there are people who have the gift of evangelism. Right? We know that. Uh, and there are peop- the people who have the gift of evangelism can make it look so easy or can have, can have stories like that. Oh, I brought this many people to Christ today. That it can be intimidating for those of us who know we're called to obey, but we don't necessarily have that same gift. It can be intimidating. And so it's helpful to remember sometimes that it's, it's him there. If, if they reject, it's, it's not me they're rejecting. It's gospel message usually on average 7 times. 7 that's the, that's the statistic out so here too you don't have to be the seventh you know and even Paul says some plant some water mm-hmm. some more so you you are just there to play your part amen That's right. Another dear friend of mine used to always say, You can't pick fruit till you plant seeds. <laughs> you know, uh, somebody has to plant a seed. I planted, Paulus watered, God gave the increase, somebody else will pick the fruit. Uh, yeah, so my, my, my heart's desire is just to encourage everybody. You know, you, we can't all be Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or even Jody Mazzola when it comes to sharing our faith. Uh, but we can all just speak the truth about the difference Christ makes in our life. You know, we can all do that. So Lord, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for your commission that compels us to go and get out of our comfort zone because it gives us opportunities to just tell other people how awesome you are. And so I pray that where we're intimidated or sometimes scared because we don't think we have a certain gift and we don't, don't believe you could use us. I pray God you'd remind us in those instances that it's your power and that you're with us, you're through your presence, and that it's not me or us that someone